Many of you uh, will know that the first Monday of November, excuse me, the first Sunday of November is um, the Sunday dedicated to uh, prayer for the persecuted church, International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. And so um, in just a moment, I'm going to offer a prayer along those lines that we can participate in together. Um, That'll be in just a moment. Right now, I want to invite you to find Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 contains one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. It's the passage that we're going to be in next Sunday, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Today, we're, we're just taking a little four-verse section in Luke 10, beginning in verse 21, verses 21 to 24. This little, can you imagine living in the shadow of the parable of the Good Samaritan? Okay, this passage lives in the shadow of that parable. Verses 21 through 24. And uh, before we read it, we'll read it in just a moment. I want to say something about where we're headed today. The, the, walk, the walk with Jesus it, in this kingdom of God can be so hard and so wearying and so soul-crushing that all thought for joy is gone. You, you can get to the place, and some of you have been there or are there right now, where, where the idea of joy in God is just a memory. That's what Psalm 42 and 43 are about, by the way. If, if you're there, I... I encourage you to live in Psalm 42 and 43, which is really just the psalmist looking back on a time when they did have joy and joy in God and hoping that one day it might come back. But the the reality is we can get to these places where, where joy is only a memory. And last week we got to listen to Jesus talk to us about how to combat pride And today, we get to learn from Jesus where to locate joy and where to find it in the kingdom of God. Because what we find here in verses 21 through 24 is Jesus experiencing joy and expressing joy in a very difficult context. And the question that we're interested in is, how does he do that? Where is he able to find joy in his unbelievably difficult context? Because that sounds really helpful if we were able to figure that out and maybe make some progress in putting that into practice ourselves, okay? So that's where we're headed today, this idea of where can we locate joy in the kingdom of God? Luke 10, verses 21 through 24. If you're able to stand today, um, we do that at Prairie Hill to honor the word of God um, over... Any word of man, this is what we find, Luke ten twenty one. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious, gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Father, um, we are hungry. We are very hungry people, and we long to worship. And so we, we pray that you would throw open the doors this morning on your goodness and your glory and show us the beauty of your Son once again. We, we come to you in hope that you will do that for us and satisfy our hearts with your goodness and what we see in your Son. We come to you also very concerned and, and very prayerful for our brothers and sisters who are experiencing great, great hardship right now. Many reasons for fear. Reasons to cry out to you for help. They are under great distress because of the gospel, because of their commitment and love for your son, Jesus. We pray that their faith may not fail, that their faith in you would would remain Strong because of the love you've already demonstrated for us in Jesus. We pray for the encouragement of their hearts. We pray that the pathway for joy would be open for them and that you would give them joy incredibly, even in the midst of the persecution that they are suffering. So we lift them up to you. We lift our own hearts up to you in our own need for joy in our lives. Make us um, good, good and faithful students and stewards of these uh, things that we'll look into today. We, we love you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. Before we um, dig into Jesus' actual words, before we look at what he says, let's take a minute to step back and look at the context that he's living in and remember his context, okay? So just a quick mental trip back through chapters 9 and 10, because viewed through a certain lens, chapters 9 and 10 of Luke really highlight the very, very, very difficult context that Jesus is living in. Think about it. It's a context of rejection. We, we saw that in, in, in chapter 9 and into chapter 10. In chapter 9, the, it's the Samaritans. We don't want you. We don't want you in our village. We reject you. That's when the disciples try to call down fire. Isn't that the appropriate response to rejection? That's what they want to do. Jesus has been rejected by the Samaritans. And then we get into chapter 10, and he's pronouncing these woes on the Jewish villages that have rejected him. Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Capernaum, and woe to you, Bethsaida, because they're not repenting and believing. So it's the Samaritans and the Jews. It's a context of great rejection. It's a context of hardship. That's what we learned in that passage where all these people are saying, I will follow you, I will follow you. And he's reminding us, do do you understand how hard this way is? Do you understand that I don't have a place to lay my head, that this road ahead is hard? All right, we got rejection, we've got hardship, we've got his approaching suffering and death. Two times in chapter 9, he tells the disciples, this is what's coming. The Son of Man is going to be delivered and killed. So that's on the horizon. And if that's not enough, he is living in constant conflict. 
How do you feel about living in a state of constant conflict? That makes me feel terrible. I hate that. But he's living in this context where he himself is constantly in conflict with the Pharisees. Not only that, his own disciples are arguing with each other all the time. Okay, if you're, if you're a parent, you've had those moments where maybe you're not having conflict, but all of these others that are under your charge are bickering and fighting and arguing, and who's the greatest among us? It's just conflict all over the place in his life. And if even that wasn't enough, his own disciples, who have been with him so long, do not look like him at all. They're displaying pride. They're arguing about who wants to be the greatest. They're asking if they can call down fire on their enemies instead of praying for them. They've been with him all this time, and they don't look like him. That's his context. Boy, if there were ever a perfect recipe for discouragement, despair, this would be it. Just think about the context he's in. Rejection, hardship, approaching death, constant conflict, disciples not looking like him at all. From a human perspective, things look really, really bleak. And they're going to get even bleaker and more dark because we haven't even gotten to the denial and the betrayal and the desertion. All those things are yet ahead. And so all that is just to say, it's going to be really, really interesting and I think really helpful to figure out from this passage, where in the world did he find joy? How is that possible? Because clearly there's very little to feel good about just from him looking around at his context. So can you appreciate the difficulty of his context? And can you identify with the difficulty of his context? In, in some sense. You may be there at some point or have been there or will be there when there is nothing to feel good about around you. And everything seems dark, and the horizon seems even darker. There's nothing to celebrate. Jesus has been there in that place. And incredibly, he located joy. And our purpose this morning is to find out how. So let's, let's look at it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about his joy. This is what we find in verses 21 and 22. We read this. In that same hour, he rejoiced. There it is. Joy springs forth from the Son of God. And what we want to do is notice the two things about this joy. We can identify two characteristics of it from the text, okay? Here's the first one. First of all, his joy was in the fellowship of the Trinity. His joy was in the fellowship of the Trinity. Notice what the text says. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit 
and said, I thank you, Father. The Son, that's one member of the Trinity, is rejoicing in the Spirit, that's another member of the Trinity, and addressing the Father, that's another member of the Trinity. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three members of the Trinity. Joy, this is what we're saying, joy is being experienced in that sphere. This is a really difficult concept for us to appreciate. This is all really foreign to us because we are used to looking for joy inside of ourselves. We're used to locating joy in in here, in my heart. If I came up to you and said, do you have joy this morning? Your reaction would probably be what my reaction would be. When someone asks, do you have joy? We start excavating our lives. We, We get introspective and we look inside and we say, well... Do I have some reason to feel good about life right now? Is there something happening around me that I feel good about that's giving me joy and cause for celebration? Or is there the prospect of something good happening? Maybe you have an interview coming up, or maybe for the first time you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or you made, you made the team, or you, the business you started is finally getting off the ground. That's our mode of operation is that we look for joy inside of ourselves, don't we? Jesus looks up. That's what we're saying. Jesus looks up to a different sphere. There's very little worth celebrating in his circumstances around him, but in all of this, he demonstrates that there is another sphere in which joy is possible. And joy is not only possible in that sphere of the Trinity. Joy is rooted in that sphere. Joy originated in that sphere. And the scriptures everywhere testify that fullness of joy is a product of being in the presence of God. Psalm 16, especially. Living with him, knowing him, being known by him. What if we learned and what if we were discipled into locating our joy in a different sphere, a sphere outside of ourselves? If I come up to you, Christian, and I ask you if you have joy, what if instead of digging around inside of yourself and going through a mental checklist of how things are going in your life, what if we call to mind that because of Jesus, we possess this thing called eternal life, which is nothing less and nothing more than participation in the fellowship of the Trinity. Knowing God and being known by God. I have been in seasons of life where I didn't know if my joy would ever come back. I have felt like it was gone and it might be gone forever. I think that's a very natural human experience. 
to view joy as something that can be lost and maybe come back if things go right. But what we see here is a a person, Jesus Christ, in the midst of gloom and approaching darkness, not needing to wait until things get better to rejoice. It is in the midst of difficulty and headed toward more, a lot more, that he is able to rejoice. The joy was there. It's that he knew where to find it. It was in his fellowship with God. And so what we want to know and and apply to ourselves as Christ followers is, is to know that any experience that we have no matter how hard it is, has the seed of joy in it. Because difficulty and loss and betrayal and suffering open the door for us to better understand the life and the experience of God who has known difficulty and suffering and loss and betrayal. And in knowing God, there is joy. It's the best joy. It's the most satisfying joy. It's the longest lasting joy to be able to say through that experience, whatever that gloom and darkness looks like for you, I have come to know something more of the Father, something more of the Son, something more of the Spirit through this experience. So Jesus finds joy, first of all, in the fellowship of the Trinity, right? We see that in verse 21. Second thing that we can identify is that he finds joy in the will of the Father. He finds joy in the fellowship of the Trinity. We see that in verse 21. He finds joy in the will of the Father being done. In verses 21 and 22, we see Jesus rejoicing simply in the fact that the Father's will is being worked out in real time on the planet. He mentions here in these verses that the Father has hidden truth about Jesus from some and revealed it to others. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed it to the little children. Such uh, was your gracious will. Instead of questioning that approach and instead of complaining about that approach and what it means for himself, that it means rejection and hardship and being misunderstood and being killed by the powerful and the wise. Like the fact that that's God's will to hide Jesus' identity from some and reveal him to others and that it's gonna cost Jesus his life. Instead of being down on that and disappointed and discouraged by what it means for him, he just takes joy that the Father's will is being worked out. He calls it his gracious will. So if we just take a step back and remember the context that Jesus is in, especially the fact that he's experiencing this widespread rejection, we see that he opens up his mind to us here in this prayer and shows us that 
He knows that the acceptance or the rejection of his person is a matter of the Father's will, not of human effort. That's what his prayer reveals. He knows that his mission and his acceptance, his rejection, is entirely a matter of the will of God and God's, and God's plan. No one knows who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It's all in God's hands. Now we know why he's not discouraged because his joy is not in getting results. If he was locating his joy at this point in earthly, the earthly success of his ministry, he wouldn't have any joy. From, from a, because from a human standpoint, this is a complete disaster. Widespread rejection, coming crucifixion, disciples running away, disciples selling him out for money, denying him, disciples cutting off people's ears, Humanly speaking, this is a disaster. It's also the will of God. And we see Jesus simply finding joy in God's plan being worked out, no matter what it means for him personally. And that's the question before me and before you is can we stand in the middle of what looks like a complete disaster in our lives, whether it's a church split, fractured relationship, a layoff, a failed business startup, failed church plant? Can you stand in the middle of what, from a human standpoint, looks like a complete disaster and thank the Father that his plan, his will is being done? and even call it his gracious will. Even if it means suffering for you. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not even saying that it's possible. All I'm saying on the basis of this text is that it's Christ-like. It's Christ-like to locate your joy in the Father's will being done, even if it's at a great cost to you. This is a, this is a really holy place to be. This is not a natural response. It is a, a response that we can only have in the Holy Spirit. We read that Jesus had this response in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us to birth the Christ life in us. It will mean that we locate joy in a different place than everyone else. It's not easy. It is Christ-like. And what is Christ-like is not easy. What is Christ-like is never easy. It's a life that we're discipled into. It's a life we have to learn. It's a life that grows over time. To just be able to look at our 
really discouraging circumstances and find a place that we can get to that says, Father, I find joy that your, your will is being worked out here. That's amazing. In the, mix, in the midst of a really hard context, when everything is going wrong around him, seemingly, Jesus locates his joy in the fellowship of the Trinity and in the Father's will being done. Okay, now, Christian, take this to heart. There is nothing that you can go through that will rob you of these two eternal things and places to locate your joy. They will always be there. You will always be able to rejoice in the fellowship of the Trinity and that the Father's will is being worked out in your life. It is an unshakable joy. We just have to know where to locate it. It is your holy possession from God. And the last thing that we see is Jesus reminding his disciples of their great privilege. This is verses 23 and 24. We talked about his context. We talked about his joy. Boy, doesn't it seem like some, looking in on something really foreign to us that we can barely understand how Jesus can be this way. Seen his context, we've seen his joy, and the last thing that we see here is our, our privilege. He, he turns to them privately, we read, and tells his disciples, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I think when we come to a passage like this in the Bible where we see Jesus Christ displaying those perfections of will and character that are uniquely his and are integral to his beautiful person, I think the greater part of, the greater part of our work is admiration. Yes, there is something here to imitate. Yes, we can enter into this life by means of the Holy Spirit, and we can make progress in doing the same things. We talked about that, okay? The Holy Spirit is there to birth this Christ life in us that, yes, we can make progress in finding our joy in a different place. But that's not the greater part of our work. The greater part of our work is appreciating the work that Jesus has already done on our behalf, of standing back and admiring the beautiful Son of God that could actually locate his joy in fellowship with the Trinity, which we know nothing about, out and locate his joy simply in the fact that the Father's will is being done. When we live our whole lives to find our joy in what's going right for me, and we look at him and say, how could a person be like that? That's the right response, is to stand back and admire and marvel at the beautiful Son of God that could live this life and be so sure of the Father's goodness that he could simply rejoice that his Father's gracious will was being worked out. That is the greater part of our work here, to stand back and be breathless at the privilege that we have in seeing and hearing what we have seen and heard today, that a person could be like this. And would offer this to God in our place. So this is what I want to say to you, and this is the last thing. Many times, and if you've been in churches for a long time, you know this, that many times when the gospel is presented and someone 
like a pastor, is urging you to believe in Jesus and give your life to him, many times that message is given to you based on obligation. Many times it's someone like me telling you, you have to believe, you're obliged to believe, you must do this. And that's not untrue. But what I do want to say is that most of the time what we see from Jesus when he is presenting himself to people, especially outsiders and outcasts and sinful people, people that don't belong, that are on the outside, he presents himself to them not on the basis of obligation, but on the basis of invitation and privilege. Not the obligation to believe in him and follow him, but the invitation and privilege to do so. That is the note that he ends on here. And so that's the note that we're going to end on too, is the privilege to look at him and the gracious invitation to follow. And if you don't know Jesus, come and see him. Even even if you have rejected him a hundred times, a million times to this point in your life, come. He will receive you. He will rejoice over you. He won't just receive you. Your reception will be a running from the house, best robe around your shoulders, ring on your hand, new shoes on your feet, feast to follow reception. No matter what you have said about him, or for how long you have rejected him. I had the honor of being a very, very small part, doing a very small part of a, of a funeral for a, a dear woman this weekend, a member, of, a member of our family, who said no to Jesus for 90 years. And in her very last days said yes. And if you're looking for one more thing to appreciate about Jesus, and this might be, I don't know, this might be the most beautiful thing about Jesus. That even if you have kicked him to the curb for 90 years, he is no less gracious to you. than if you had received him when you were seven and never rejected him once. Can you imagine being like that? That gracious. Andy mentioned the thief on the cross in his prayer. That's it. That is beautiful. I can't imagine a person like that. How gracious would you be to someone who had kicked you to the curb for 90 years and in their last moment asked for a favor. Do you think it might be a little bit different than the way you'd approach a seven-year-old? This is Jesus Christ. His forgiveness and his grace are bottomless. Wouldn't you like to know a person like that better? Wouldn't you like to be like him? Repent and believe in the Savior and enjoy him and his joy forever. That's his promise to you today. Amen. Jesus, we praise your name. We are full of sin, but you are full of grace. 
And uh, at this final, final moment here, having listened to these words, we want to say to you what's in our heart, namely that we can barely imagine living the life that you did in offering God this kind of honor by simply finding joy in your fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and finding joy that your Father's will was being done. We struggle so much with that. But we know that we have the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit that you yourself rejoiced in, Jesus, which now is birthing the Christ life in us, that we have a different sphere in which to locate our joy and a different reason to have joy. Oh, help us, Lord, because it doesn't come natural. We struggle so much. We thank you that you are so gracious and pray in your wonderful name. Amen.